If you would bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time. Uh, We thank you that you've provided this place that we can gather together freely as your people to proclaim your name. We ask this morning that you would move freely in this place. We ask that the Holy Spirit would be leading and guiding and teaching us this morning. We confess we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that you would show us clearly what you want us to see. We thank you for your uh, life creating, uh, life recreating word that you teach us, that your word is is active and sharper than a two edged sword. That as we read things that were written thousands of years ago, that they are active and living today, uh, that you can show us, that you can teach us, that you can change us right now. And this time we pray that you would do just that, that we would leave here having seen so clearly who you are and what you're doing and how we fit into that and what that means for us. And that we would leave here just having seen a greater picture of your beauty and your majesty in all things. I pray for each person that you've brought here this morning. We know that you know every single one in their hearts and exactly what's going on in their lives. And so I pray that you would take uh, your living and active word and apply it to them this morning. And that it would be for, for your honor and for your glory. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I read an article this week uh, in a publication that I had not come across before, but it was the first time I'd read it. It's called The Scientific American. Uh, Not a Christian uh, uh, quarterly or anything like that. It was just an article that I happened to come across. And and what the article was saying that I I was reading, that I was looking at, was talking about uh, our brain chemistry and what we know about it now. And as we've we've started to map the brain and the way uh, we work and we think and, and how we move and all these sorts of things. And what it was saying in this particular article was talking about the uh, just how deeply in us is this need for deeper connections with others and to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And so this was in no way a, a religious article or a Christian article or anything like that. Just looking at our brain chemistry and the way it works. And what they were saying is that we so desperately need these connections that when we are deprived of those connections, that it not only has social and emotional effects to us, that it actually has physical effects to us, that we so desperately need this. And I was kind of struck by that article, but just thinking about that and kind of reading through that, just happened to be reading that this week and seeing that picture of the way we need one another and we need to be connected to something bigger than ourselves. And as I started to think about that, something you see all around us in all different ways all the time. We look for different connections and all sorts of things. Uh, we, we connect over our hobbies or the things that we enjoy. Uh, we have all sorts of clubs and different things that we can be a part of to find bigger connections with other people. And we see that all the time. Or, or maybe it's our, our favorite sports teams. Uh, we like to rally around the, the teams that we like, you know, maybe here kind of just on the edge of Atlanta could be the Falcons. Uh, hopefully not the Braves. That'd be really dis- discouraging and kind of disappointing right now. But those kind of things that we rally around together that we kind of want to have connection in these different ways. And we seek to forge those in all different ways. And it's something ingrained in us that we desperately need and we desperately want. And when we don't have them, it causes all kinds of issues. And so not only do we need that connection, but we need a connection to something larger than ourselves. And as I was reflecting on all those things, it reminded me of a chapel speaker that came when I was in seminary 
There's a man named Ralph Winter that came to speak at chapel when I was in seminary. I didn't know who he was. I'd never heard of him. But all my professors were like giddy over him coming. They were like, do you know who's speaking today? And they were telling you in class and make sure you go. And Ralph Winter's coming. Well, Ralph Winter is, is a gentleman that's now passed away. But at the time, he was in his late 80s. And he'd helped to develop a walk through the Bible curriculum, how to teach big picture of the Bible. And I still remember vividly being in chapel when Dr. Winter came and he came in. And I think at the time he was like 86 or 87 years old. And, and I, I repent and I, I had to confess to God and repent as I sat there and watched. As he came up to the stage, I honestly thought, oh, no, this poor guy's kind of lost it. Like he's not all together. He seemed, he seemed like he didn't know where he was and what was going on. And he was mumbling and he was talking to his wife who was sitting in the front row. And I, I remember thinking like, oh, no, he, he's not really sure where he is. This is going to be bad. And so he said a couple things to her and then he got all his notes set. And then he picked up his Bible and he said, we, sh- we should print this as a book. And you're like, oh, no, this poor guy. And then he went, no, 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 I know it's a book. I know it's a book. I know it's printed as a book. But we should print it as a book in that we should have uh, an introduction and then chapter one and chapter two instead of all these different books together because it's really one story. And what he said, what he went on to say is he said Genesis 1 through 11, which we've been looking at up to this point. He said Genesis 1 through 11 in a lot of ways is the prologue. It's the introduction that lays all the stuff down, all the things that we need to know, the big idea. And then he said Genesis 12 in verse 1 is chapter 1. As God calls Abram, who will later be renamed Abraham. And we're going to look at this passage in just a moment. And he said, as God calls Abram, he sends him on a mission. And all of the Bible is about God being on mission for his creation. And he said that. And then he unfolded the whole story of the Bible in 45 minutes in a way that I'd never seen before. And I had to sit there and go, God, forgive me for thinking this man was confused. (laughs) There was brilliance coming out of him and wisdom and years and years of seeking the Lord in all these ways. And he just laid out this picture of what it looks like. This big picture that we're all yearning for, this thing that we want to be connected to. This larger connection that we're all yearning for deep within us. He laid it out so beautifully. And so today we're going to look at that passage that he used or he started with anyway in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. That's found on page six of your pew Bibles. If you want to follow along with me, I'm just going to read that passage to you and I'm going to tell you how we're going to go at that today. But listen to what it says in God's word. Genesis chapter 12 and verse one. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So I'm just going to stop right there halfway through verse four. And so this picture that we see of, of God calling Abram, who will be later renamed Abraham. Don't let that throw you. And calling him out into this to go. And this is really chapter one. This is the big picture. This is the overstanding arc of God's story throughout the Bible. And so this is the way I want us to look at this this morning. First, I want you to see that this is God's story. There is a big story and it's God's story and he's on a mission. The second thing I want you to see is how is he fulfilling it? Because it tells us some things right here in Genesis 
chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, how he's fulfilling this mission. And then lastly, how do we fit into it? Because it is, after all, the big story, the big picture, the thing that each one of us is looking for is this story that gets started and presented here in Genesis chapter 12. And so let's look at that. Let's jump in with that in mind, that big picture, that this is God's story and he's on a mission. And so when we talk about Genesis 12, 1 through 3, what we get is this big picture that we often refer to is the Abrahamic covenant. Covenant means promise. And so God makes this promise to, to Abram or Abraham. And he says, I'm going to do this thing and I want you to go out and I want you to go and I'm going to do <clears throat> and bless you in this incredible way. And I'm going to do wonderful things through you and your family. But in order to understand why God's doing this, we need to have the prologue, which is Genesis 1 through 11. If you've been with us the last six weeks or so, we've been working our way through it. But I'm just going to summarize that for you real, real quickly. Genesis 1 through 11, we get the big picture of who we are and why we were made. So that's Genesis 1 and 2. God creates man in his image after his likeness to give and show his glory over the face of his creation. We were made to be in relationship with God and then to love others, showing what God's like, reflecting him, glorifying him in all that we do. We're made to center around God and all of that. But what we see in Genesis three, which kind of starts the next session or section, Genesis three to 11 is sin enters and the growth and the consequences of that. And so in Genesis three, man decides that we can do this apart from God on our own. We were made to center around God and to love God and to love others. And we've decided we can do it without God. And that causes all kinds of problems. And that's what we see in Genesis three through 11. In Genesis 3, as sin enters the perfect relationship between man and woman and their relationship with God, they were naked and unashamed and wonderful in all these ways. And all of a sudden they begin pointing fingers and fighting and blaming. And you see all of that in Genesis 3. Genesis 4, you see a murder. Genesis 6, we hear that man's heart is evil, continually ignoring God in everything he does. And then by Genesis 11, they're seeking to build a tower to make a name for themselves, ignoring God altogether. That's the big picture. The downward spiral, the depths of sin that we see in that. And then we get to Genesis 12 and all of a sudden we see this picture of God's mission. Abram, go and move to where I tell you I'm going to do this incredible thing. I'm going to bless the world through you. Well, what God's doing in Genesis 12 is picking up what he promised in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve first sinned. When they first decided to ignore God, God told them the consequences. He says death will now enter because of your sin. You're going to have all these different issues, relationships, your work. Everything's going to be harder because of your sin. But right in the middle of that, he says to Eve, I am going to send one through your seed that will do away with sin and evil. He makes that promise to her. And so when we get to Genesis 12, God is picking up that promise and propelling it forward. And this is going to become the ark, the overarching theme of all of Scripture right here, what he says in Genesis 12 to Abraham. And so that's what I want us to look at, this big picture. And so as we do, there's an important thing for us to notice and just uh, talk about as we think about that big picture. That when we say this is the story of God and what he's doing and what it looks like. And he's on a mission. We need to see from the very beginning that this idea of mission and what God's doing emanates, comes from God himself. God is the one that starts this. It's his idea. 
He creates everything and we rebel. And so he says, I am the God of mission. I am the sending God. I'm going to go on mission for my creation to bring it back. It starts with him. There's a guy named Carl Hartenstein lived in the 19 early 1900s in Germany. And he coined this phrase, the Missio Dei. Missio Dei means the sending God, God of mission, that he's on mission for his creation. And what he was saying is that this idea of mission and being sent and going doesn't start with man, but it starts with God. It's who God is, that God is the God of mission and that he is on mission to redeem his creation. And that's the story of what he's doing. And that's the story that we yearn for and we long for and we want to be connected with. That's what scripture tells us. And so this is so foundational to who we are as we become Christians. If we come into a saving relationship with Jesus and now the Holy Spirit, the very God of the universe, indwells us, the sending God now lives in us. And that's part of who we are. That's why if you go on our website or you read our church doctrine statement or you read any of the stuff that we put together, we always say we seek to be a missional church. That means we are sent. We are on mission to see God's creation redeemed through Jesus Christ and what he's done. That's because that's who God is. And he now indwells and lives in us. So that's who we now are. We are part of that. That's why we say we're a missional church. That's not some cool language we came up with. That's something that emanates and begins with God himself. And so big, big picture. There's this story that we see all the way throughout Scripture of God seeking to redeem his creation. It's his mission. And that's the first part. The second part I want you to consider is what does it tell us here how he's fulfilling his mission just in these few verses here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12 and what he says to Abraham. And so think through just what it looks like. Remember, Genesis three, we we covered this weeks ago, but in Genesis three, as God promises to Eve through your seed, I'm going to bring one that's going to crush the serpent that's going to do away with sin and death. He says through your seed. And then here we read in Genesis 12, as God speaks to Abram and he says, go from your place and go to the land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless the world through you. Same promise, same promise that he gave to Eve. He's now expanding it, making it a little clear with Abraham. But the first point I want you to see when we talk about how he is fulfilling his mission is simply this. God is working through his creation. He's working through people to fulfill his mission. He's allowing us to be part of what he's doing in this story. So he says that to Eve and then now to Abram, go and you're going to be part of this. And so God allows us to be part. Now, this goes back to the very beginning of creation. God didn't create us out of any deficiency in and of himself. He didn't need us in any way, but he chose to create us to share the joy and love that he has in and of himself. The same is true in God redeeming his creation. He doesn't need to use us, but he chooses to use us. He allows us to be part of this. And I want you to think about big picture, how that's even bringing redemption in our lives. We are made in God's image to glorify, to show what he's like by God, allowing us to be part of his mission of redeeming creation. We're glorifying or showing what he's like. Do you see that? 
It restores us to be outside of ourselves and not just about us, but about going forth and making much of God. And so it's bringing us back to the way we were created to be made. And so when we see the very first thing I want you to see is that God chooses to use people as part of his mission and what he's doing in his story. Second thing here I want you to see is how he begins to do that. So look at what it says to Abraham or Abram, as he's called here. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I just want to stop right there for a second. He says, I want you to move. I want you to trust me. I want you to leave all that you know and go to this place that I'm going to show you, which is a pretty big ask right there from the beginning. And Abraham chooses to follow God and do so. And he packs up everything and he moves. And God says, I'm going to bless you greatly in all these ways so that you will be a blessing. And so the first thing we say is God uses people. But then the second thing, the way he uses us is he blesses us to be a blessing to others. And you see this all the way throughout Scripture. We see this idea repeated over and over. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so God calls him out and tells him to go. And he's going to use him in this way. He's going to use his descendants. He's going to use the land that they take. They're going to grow into a great nation. He says, I'm going to use all these things to bless the world. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I want you to think about your own story if you've come to faith in Christ. If you've recognized that you're a sinner separated from God and you desperately need a savior in Jesus, what is your story? God has richly blessed you to welcome you back into a relationship that you were created for with the God of the universe. And he's now bestowed upon you his very Holy Spirit living inside of you, guiding, teaching, walking with you so that you will love other people to show them what God's like. He has blessed you to be a blessing to others. Exactly what he tells Abraham is our story. God has blessed us to be a blessing to others, to love God and to love people to show what he's like. And so God allowing us to be part of all this is bringing us back to showing a fuller picture of what God's like. And so the first two things we see is he uses people and then he blesses us to be a blessing. But what does it teach us right here? And the big story is we try to walk through the Bible. We try to understand what God's doing and the way he works. What's he doing right here with Abraham? We often talk about the Abrahamic covenant is four parts. People, land, nation, blessing. That's what he's going to do. That's what he tells Abraham I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to this land that I'm going to give you. And you're going to have a large number of descendants. And those descendants are going to grow into a nation. And I'm going to bless the world through all these steps. And he said, ultimately, I'm going to bless uh, in you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the last part of it. People, land, nation, bless. What's he doing? Well, that in a lot of ways is what you learn when you're a kid, kind of your 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 statement at the beginning. You write a sentence that tells big picture and then you flesh it out in your paragraph. Remember learning that? Right. That's kind of what God's doing with the Bible here. I'm going to send you Abraham, people, land, nation, and then blessing. That's pretty much what's going to follow. That's the outline of the whole Bible. People, land, nation is the Old Testament. If you don't know what I'm talking about. Abraham has Isaac, who has his son, Jacob, 
who gets his name turned into Israel, who grows into a huge number of descendants, who then conquers the land, who then becomes a nation of Israel in the middle of the known world at the time so that people would see what God's like. Summary of the Old Testament. And they blow it. Oh, yeah, they blow it a lot. It's kind of an important part, too. But that's pretty much the big picture. And so what God does, if you follow that through, we get to the end of Genesis and it's 70 people. And there's a famine. And so they go down to Egypt. But in Egypt, they grow in the next few hundred years to millions. That's where Moses comes. And he leads them out and he takes them to the promised land. Joshua takes over. They conquer the land. And so you've got the fulfillment of the people part. And you've got the fulfillment of the land part with Joshua. It actually says that at the end of Joshua, that God gave them all the land that he promised to give them to their fathers and their forefathers. He gave it to them completely. It says that in Joshua. So people land and then under Solomon, a few hundred years later, they will grow to a huge nation, people land nation. And in that, what God's doing is he's showing the world what he's like all along that way. He says, you're going to be a holy nation. You're going to learn to show uh, what worship looks like. I'm going to give you my commandments. I'm going to give you a temple. I'm going to give you how to do sacrifices. I'm going to show you how to approach God. I'm going to show you how to live together. I'm going to show you how to show the world what God's like in the way that you do this. And this all comes from Abraham's seed. People, land, nation. I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham. And he does. And that's what he's telling you right there. And that's what unfolds from then on. God's rescue mission. And the reason he's doing all that is to show how holy he is and how sinful we are and how we are in desperate need of him in every one of those steps all along the way. And that's what he does. And that's the promise that he's giving to Abraham. But when you get to the very end and he says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you will I curse. But then the very end there, he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And sometimes we miss the fullness of this picture. People, land, nation. And we go, yeah, he's blessing all the peoples of the world by showing them what he's like, by putting them there. Yes, that's true. But that misses the fullness of what God is doing if we just stop there. Sometimes we want to make it all about Israel and the Abrahamic covenant. And God uses Israel mightily for a very specific purpose. And it's so all the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, how does that work? What was going on with the temple and the land and the nation and the kings and all the things that God did all along the way as he fulfilled all the things he told to Abraham? When we get to the New Testament how are we going to be blessed through all this? It tells us. If you were here last year, we, we studied the book of Hebrews. If you remember what Hebrews says, on pretty much every page of the book of Hebrews, every few verses, whether it's Moses, whether it's the law, whether it's the temple, whether it's the sacrifices, whether it's any of these things that God chose to do through the people, land, nation, Hebrews tells us every single bit of it points to Jesus. All of it. If you weren't aware of that, the whole Old Testament's actually about Jesus. Every bit of it. And so look at what 
It says it was a quote or a quote. There was a verse written there in your bulletin this morning from Galatians chapter three. We go, what's the blessing of how he's going to bring about all that and do that? And listen to what Paul says in Galatians three. Now, the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say and to his offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, his offspring singular. And then he says, which is Christ. So he says, Abraham, I'm going to send you out and you're going to take this land and you're going to grow to huge numbers and you're going to become this incredible nation. And all of that is going to be the channel in which my savior comes. My son is going to enter in Jesus. So the ark over the whole of the Bible, the rescue mission that God is a God of mission that starts with Genesis three. Eve, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And then Abraham, it's going to be through your seed. And then later it's going to be David. It's through yours and Judah. It's through your tribe. And all these things all the way down the line are bringing you to that. It's only to Jesus. The only way that we come back into the story in which we were created in the fullness of what that looks like is through what Christ does and nothing else. And that's the whole story. It's the whole Bible. All along the way, how is God going to do that? How is he going to defeat sin and death? Well, the perfect one is going to come and he's going to live this life perfectly and completely in every way. And then he says, I'm going to take your sin and your mistakes on myself and I'm going to pay for it and do away with it. And then I'm going to restore you to the God of the universe through Christ's perfect righteousness and his life on our behalf. And he says, I'm going to bless the world through what Jesus does. That's the promise of Abraham. Right there in chapter one. Right. We got the prologue and here's the problem. And then chapter one, Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And I'm talking about Jesus. That's why you get down to the New Testament and you open Matthew and he goes through the whole genealogy. And he takes you back to Abraham and then to Eve. And then he says, now this Jesus, this is the promise. This is what God was doing all along the way. And so when we look at how God is bringing about his mission, yes, he chooses to use people. Yes, he blesses us to be a blessing. And he does all these things to bring in the channel of salvation to Jesus. And he's the fullness of it. And so that brings me to the last part. Well, how do we fit into this? So at the very beginning, every single one of us is longing for deeper connection and to be something bigger than ourselves. That's because within you is a desire and a need and a want to be known and loved by the creator God of the universe. Because that's what you were made for. And that's the rescue mission that God's doing. I'm going to bring you back to that. And so when we read this and we go, what is the Abrahamic covenant? This promise that God made thousands upon thousands of years ago have to do with me. And I would say to you this morning, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus. Not in a saving way. You know who he is, but not as your savior, not as the one you're clinging to in faith by grace and what he's done on your behalf. If that's you and you sit here today and you're asking those questions, let me just first say, I'm glad you're here and your questions are always welcome. It's okay. You are perfectly welcome to come and say me, say to me after, I don't believe this. 
Okay. Let's talk about that. That's great. I love to have those conversations. But if you're here, I want you to hear what this says to you. It says that the God of the universe is pursuing you. And he's gone to great lengths since the beginning of time to know you and to love you. He's been making these promises of what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. And he's set his sights on, I want you to be part of that. And I'm welcome you, welcoming you in. You're my child. I've created you in my image to know me above all else. And I want to know you. It's what the Abrahamic covenant says to you if you don't know Jesus. It's what God's doing. But the second part I would say to you is if you do know Christ, you have come to a saving relationship. You are recognizing I'm a sinner and I'm far from God and I desperately need a savior. And it's all what Jesus has done and nothing else. Then I want you to understand that God has blessed you to be a blessing. That he's given you the Holy Spirit in your life to now be sent and be part of God's mission. The missio Dei, the sending God, the God of mission now lives and dwells inside of you. And you are blessed so that you can go be a blessing to others. You can proclaim his name and show what he's like by the way that you love and care for those around you. What Jesus says after the resurrection, the first time he appears to the disciples all together, they're in a room with the door locked, scared and hiding. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And as the father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Think about what he says. I, the sending God, the missio Dei, the God of mission, is now going to come live inside of you and I'm welcome you into my story. And I'm going to use you to bless others, to show them what God's like. And we all get welcomed into God's story. You know, if you, if you know about our church at all, you know that we're an Acts 29 church. If you didn't know that. It's just an organization we're part of. People ask me all the time, well, what does Acts 29 say? Well, actually, there is no Acts 29. 28 chapters in Acts. So what's Acts 29? It's us. So we're part of the story. It's still being written. God's still on mission. He's still bringing in a fullness. Until he brings in the fullness of all those that he will bring in, then he will return. We get to be part of it right now. We are, we are Acts 29, literally. And God sees fit to use us as to be part of it. And this, I'll, I'll end here this morning. That goes back to the thing I said at the very beginning. We all desire for something bigger. We all desire for deeper connection and wanting to be connected in different ways and have a bigger story. Well, this is it. There is no bigger story. That we would get to be part of showing what God's like in his creation. And it's all by his grace and what he's done. And he sees fit to choose us just to allow to be part. So our greatest joy will be found. Abiding in him and making much of him. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for the glorious picture of the Abrahamic covenant. That thousands upon thousands of years ago, you chose this man and told him you're going to bless the world through his seed. And that we now are part of that, that you tell us in your word that in Christ, we are now sons of Abraham, heirs to the promise. And all we can say is thank you. I pray that we would see today as we leave and we go out of here that we are part of your greater story, that you have welcomed us in, that we get to be part of this. I pray that you would uh, we would see so clearly that all you've blessed us with talents the time that you've given us, the spiritual gifts you've given us, the, the financial gifts you've given us, that you've blessed us to be a blessing to others. I pray that we'd see that afresh today, that we would go out and make much of you resting in what Christ has done for us in all things. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.